Welcome to another episode of Music Life Radio. I am your host, Dan Sauter. Music Life Radio is a free podcast available on iTunes and your interwebs at musicliferadio.com, and it features interviews and stories related to and about music. Today on the program, our newest producer, Josh Almond, does an interview with Derek Theron. Derek is a singer-songwriter based out of Boston, Massachusetts, and is a two-time Billboard World Songwriting Contest Award winner. Derek is also the frontman for the rock band 6S. That's the number 6 and the letter S, as in Sierra, for you military people. 6S also features Mike Sandani on bass and Dave Perry on drums. They're named after the number of a rented studio room, as it rhymed with success. Derek's songwriting vision expands to the theatrical and the spectacular, and he got a lot of grief from his band when he would bring songs that he thought were very valid to his band to play. When they questioned him on why the songs were maybe not as rocking as they would expect, he goes, Guys, haven't you ever heard of a band called Queen? Expanding on the definition of rock music beyond its limits, it's no wonder why Derek has won two awards for his songwriting craft. Derek is now focusing his talents on writing songs for hire, offering his eager ear to listen to those that want to put their dreams into a song. Derek's definitely got the songwriting craft down, and we're going to get a chance to check out lots of his work during this interview. But first... Let's take a quick moment and also introduce Josh Almond, who brought us this story. Josh is an artist and musician out of San Francisco, California. He's played electric bass for over 20 years in bands such as Obscurity, Without Warning, Random Eye, Left Out Lamont, and he's played lead guitar in the band Gunpowder. He's also done quite a bit of unreleased solo recording, experimenting with the medium as far as he can take it, he is the eldest son of two local visual artists, and he has continued on that path, having done over 400 abstract paintings over the last 10 years. Definitely qualified to be on Music Live Radio as a producer. We welcome him with open arms. Josh Allman, thanks a lot, man. Anyway, sit back and relax to another episode of Music Live Radio. We like to call this one D-Rock. I got my dad wallpapering in the background. You want you want me to have him like swear and stuff when something doesn't go right? You want, you want that in the background? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> first start playing I, I started playing when I was I think I just turned 14 ironically my, my, my brother had actually my, my younger brother uh, had decided he wanted to uh, 
take guitar lessons. And, uh, you know, he wasn't really into it, you know, uh, but I would, I would wait for him to like, when he stopped practicing, I, I, I would wait for him to stop and I'd have him show me cause I, I really wanted to learn. So I used to steal the guitar from him, learn everything that he wanted to learn and usually ended up learning it quicker than he did. And was, I was more enthusiastic. So I ended up at one point, he just said, you know, why don't you do this? And I, I, I started going to the lessons and he gave it up. But me, I actually had songs going through my head when I was about nine or 10. Uh, you know, just complete songs, you know, with verse, chorus. I used to sing them to myself. So I, you know, I figured everybody knew how to do that. But, you know, it started, it started around then, I'd say, as far as creatively, nine or 10, and then started playing just as I turned 14. And were you just playing on your own or you started, um, did you start playing with other people? You know, it's funny. Yeah, just uh, my drummer, Dave, <clears throat> lives uh, one, two, three, oh, I don't know, probably six or seven houses down the street. And he had been playing drums his whole life, you know, since he was really little, maybe three or four. And uh, he really didn't have anybody to play with. And as soon as he found out that I was even taking lessons, uh, which was very early on, I may, I might have been taking lessons for maybe three months. And he was like, let's put a band together. So I was playing with him more or less right from the, from the get go. And then, um, maybe a year later, uh, he met Mike was the bass player. And, you know, we had a band pretty early on. Yeah. So it kind of all, everything all at once. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing that I've heard uh, of other musicians, uh, who just, they just started out and they said, I'm just going to get a guitar and we're going to start a band. Not even yeah. know, not even knowing how to play. Right. Oh, yeah. I, I remember specifically uh, me and Mike would share with each other um, our lessons, what we learned at, <laughs> at guitar lessons that week, you know. So you were, in fact, getting two lessons. Yeah. 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 You know, we had the same we had the same uh, guitar teacher, too, because he um, actually Dave was very persuasive, the drummer. Uh, also known as Worm, you know, uh, as we got older, but uh, he convinced Mike, or they had a conversation. Dave said, um, "You know, I got a band. Why don't you buy a bass and be my bass player?" And so Mike did it. He went out and bought a bass, <laughs> and then Mike said, "Okay, where do I, where do I go to take lessons? Where do I learn how to play?" And I told him where I was going to get lessons because I was happy with my teacher. So Mike had literally got a bass just because Dave asked him to. We told him to, so he could be in a band. <laughs> yeah, that sounds that sounds that sounds familiar. Well, so you said you already had songs you were writing in your head before you could play. When yeah. you when you started to actually um, know how to play stuff, how did how did your you go along with writing those songs? Did it just happen naturally because you already uh, were doing it before you could play? Or what happened? Yeah. Uh, well, um, that that's actually really, that's a really good question. Um, I wasn't really able to, it's funny, the song stayed with me, but, you know, learning, you know, how to put a, um, to, to, like, you know, to, I'm acknowledging what you're what you're asking here. What you're if I get you right, you say at one point did I learn to uh, to tr transfer those songs in my head on the guitar? Correct? Is that what you're yeah, asking me? Yeah. Well, those songs that I used to drive around on my bike singing to myself that took a while before I could actually transpose those into a real song because you kind of have to learn how songs go. You know, uh, in my uh, and how to do that. I actually wasn't able to do that probably till I was about maybe, maybe 18 or 19, figure those songs out. Uh, but writing songs uh, did start early, but it was more of a different format. I, 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 this might confuse people, but you know, when you first start out playing guitar, you kind of uh, will build a song around whatever comes out as opposed to, hearing a song in your head and then coming purely through the guitar and using the guitar more for what it's, what it's used in my opinion, uh, you should use the instrument to interpret 
what's already in your mind as opposed to letting the guitar guide you. So earlier on, um, you know, the guitar was guiding me a little bit more, uh, a little bit. So I was writing songs based on whatever came out of the guitar as opposed to figuring out the songs that were in my head. But um, when I finally figured out, you know, how songs went, you know, the basis of what a chord progression was and, you know, meter and things like that, then I was able to, trans, you know, to, to figure those songs out uh, from those you know, songs that were in my head, uh, you know, those early songs when I wasn't playing anything. Kind of had to learn song structure, you know, what the, what the essence of a song was. And, uh, you know, a- after you learn how to play a few songs, then you're able to, to kind of start writing. But, yeah, the writing, the writing did start uh, from the beginning. It wasn't, it, it wasn't until a little bit later where I was able to, to figure out, hey, you know, this is how you write a song. You, you kind of put the guitar down, you know, and, and put it in the closet and then let a song come to you. And then that's how that's that's when I really started getting momentum, um, uh, and was, as a writer. And was this uh, primarily for uh, your group, or did you you also yeah. write songs that ended up not being for your group? Well, that's um, those songs. My my should I say my pure songs? My 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 the songs that were not written for the band. I found the band rejected them. Uh, early on, because they were just um, they were like too melodic. These were the ones and, you wrote when you were nine. Yeah, more, things that were more along that genre. Yeah, the stuff that was my my pure stuff. Uh, they they um, they thought it was kind of wimpy, and uh, and that was disappointing to me because you know, when you're in a rock band, they want to rock, you know. And um, you know, I liked rock and roll, but I didn't find it to be as inspiring as the stuff I was kind of carrying around you know, in my soul, you know, the stuff that was, uh, very bright and brilliant and, uh, uh, you know, happy and joyful, you know, and, uh, that stuff, you know, when, uh, I think, let's see, that was probably back. The band broke up eventually due to a, a number of different factors. I, I, I kind of, kind of escapes me right now, but it was basically creative differences and, um, I went and did a solo, a solo album and that stuff I did. It was just all pure stuff, real poppy kind of, you know, the stuff, you know, my roots, you know, I mean, I, I was raised on Beatles and, uh, you know, kind of, you know, that kind of thing. That stuff, when, when I finally completed the CD, everybody said that it sounded like something that should have been on Broadway. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, basically my friends weren't really impressed with it, but you know, I was, and right. uh, you know a lot of you know, a lot of non musician types, anybody who you know really didn't play in a band, or anybody who listened, you know, your average sort of normal music listeners, they liked it. They thought it was great, but um, you know, I was never going to be able to put a band together playing that stuff, at least at that age.
aside from the Beatles, what are your other favorite artists? <clears throat> um, let's see, Beatles. Um, no, I, I, I like. Um, it's an interesting question because, from from my point of view, it's not really, you know, who are your favorite artists. Although that obviously that's a very common question and you know a, a worthwhile question. But to me, it's more. What are your favorite songs? Because the songs greater represent to me uh, what music is. I mean, because, you know, you can have a not so great or should I say statistically great or, uh, you know, talked about artist that had a great song, which could be, you know, that would, and the song could be far greater than, say, um, you know, something that maybe a, a more well-known artist had done. You know, uh, you know, for instance, you know, Johnny Nash's I Can See Clearly uh, is is as good, in my opinion, as anything the Beatles ever did. Although Johnny Nash, you know, wasn't, you know, you know, statistically or as legendary as uh, as what the Beatles did. And you could argue that, you know, that song was could is maybe better than half the stuff the Beatles did, you know, so. <clears throat> But you know, would I ever tell you that I was a Johnny Nash fan? No, I would. I would tell you I'm a Beatles fan, and Johnny Nash's song, I, I feel rates uh, is is on par with anything that the Beatles did. I, I think we. I think we can kind of um, judge ourselves uh, as writers or musicians more by songs that we like more than by the artist, uh, or more accurately, I should I say. Um, um, what would be another song? I mean, uh, Black and White by uh, Three Dog Night. No, these are songs that really, really get me in a great mood. You know, these are po- you know powerful songs. You know, powerful songs that bring joy and inspiration and uh, kind of open your mind and spirit up. You know, it really gets you going. Um, that's really what it's about. It's about songs. It's not really about artists. Uh, you know, I, I like um, you know I like Andrew Lloyd Webber. You know he's you know he's uh, he's the guy who wrote um you know he, he does it's no he does lots of soundtracks yeah he did he did uh, Jesus Christ Superstar he did Cats he did Phantom of the Opera uh, you know he did he you know he did a bunch of you know uh, really great stuff um, you know you know it's no wonder that I think my stuff you know some people could hear um, a, a theatrical flair in it. You know, there's a when you're really writing something truly melodic and inspired. For some reason, it just tends to pick up that Broadway flair. I don't know. I don't know why that is. It's got a lot uh, of a lot of energy in it. Yeah, real, and that's what people associate with that. So that's kind of you know that that's been kind of one of my uh, my strengths. But in terms of the business, probably one of uh, one of my crosses to bear that it's 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 actually. Uh, maybe a little bit too much for people, you know, melodically, you know, uh, though there are songs, you know, that have made, made it into the popular, uh, into popular music that were as melodic as, uh, as stuff that you heard on Broadway. However, the, you know, the industry in the end is very ignorant and, and they fail to, they fail to look historically at the, at the music, which has sold, uh, you know, very well. And as, uh, been popular with, uh, through the generations. They failed to do that over and over and over again. Uh, you, you won a songwriting award for, uh, I guess, a couple of songs. Um, one of them uh, is a song, again, uh, from yeah. the 6S uh, band. And um, how did that come about? Were you surprised when you won? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, y- yes, yes, and yes and no. I mean, obviously, obviously, you probably put a lot of work into writing the song and then recording it and that sort of I, thing. I did, but how I did, did you, that, how did you actually, you know, how did it come about where you you got it to somebody and then you won an award? Well, um, th- this was it. the uh, the song The song came very quickly. Um, as far as you know, uh, the melody line it, ca- it came really quickly to me. And uh, at the time, I was working with Dave, so I was able—I was—I was actually able to to, to co-create that with somebody, uh, which was, you know, at, at the time, which was kind of um, 
this was a new thing to actually to create something with somebody that that I liked to co-create because um, you know it, that, that song has a you know pretty you know it's got that kind of I don't know I'm not gonna a Latin feel but it's got a, it's got a real good groove to it and that was something that Dave brought to that so um in in lyrically it was lyrically really sparse which is the way I like to write I like to you know um, to say things in very few words so. You know, it, it, it came together really, really well and really quickly. And uh, so when I, I heard about the Billboard uh, songwriting, uh, World Songwriting Contest, it just seemed to be an obvious candidate uh, to me because, you know, I felt I felt like it was really well done. It was one of my better works. Um, you know, when I submit something to something like that, uh, when I hear what people are submitting, you know, I, I listen to a lot of local music. I listen to a lot of popular music. And, you know, this is this is a hard thing to say uh, without coming off the wrong way. But, you know, I know that my stuff rates with that, you know, w- with this, you know, with what I'm hearing in, uh, in popular music and, and likewise. And, you know, I'm not really impressed with what I'm hearing from a lot of other artists. So when I submit something to somebody, I, 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 I know in my soul that it could win. If, if it wins, um, it, it's more like. It's val- my feeling is it's validation. Feeling, yeah, it's like damn right it damn right it won. I'm actually more surprised when when I listen to what won, and I am unable to tell why that song won over mine. You know, because I, I don't you know I don't I don't submit crap. You know, but I, I think a lot of people I, I think a lot of people will submit things just because it's something to do. Hey, you know, let's just submit this uh, and see you know, what happens. Against, right. Let and, and this is what you see in American Idol. You get a lot of people. You get millions of kids showing up for these auditions, and they don't know how to sing. You know, they say, "Well, let me just try and see what happens." You know, let's throw it against the wall and see if it sticks. And ultimately, that clutters the uh, the platform for for the people who actually have been dedicated and have uh, put a lot of time and energy into honing their craft and actually beating becoming good at what they do. And this is what I'm seeing across the board in terms of you know the American Idol phenomenon. And in music, I think everybody thinks that they're, that they're musicians. I, I think a, a lot of people think that. Oh, look, I can do that. Look, you know, and it's uh, it, it kind of um, it, it suffocates the industry and it, it confuses everything. So, uh, yeah, I was actually I was amazed to hear about one of the American Idol contests this, or contestants this year who. Uh, had stage fright or they ha- they had anxiety about being on stage. It's like, well, didn't you think about that before you got on the show? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know, I know. So, you know, when you ask me if I'm surprised, I am surprised when I win because I feel like somehow I'm surprised, uh, I'm surprised that, that those mind blocks that people have, they were able to to overcome them. You know what I mean? Like the judges saw what my song was. Not so much that they were able to, uh, uh, to recognize it as being good, but more that they were able to, to, to get through the mind block that, that, that they seem to have most of the time. That's when I'm surprised. I'm not surprised that the song's good enough to win. I'm surprised that they saw through their mind blocks that they could see it.
So speaking of, <laughs> speaking of that, you know, what irritates you about the music industry? Do you think the music industry has been kind of going in the wrong direction for some time? It's, it's absolutely going going in the wrong direction. And I, I think that's kind of what you'll, what you'll hear monolithically uh, throughout the industry. Um, even by, you know, particularly uh, you'll hear artists like, um, I think it was uh, Steve Miller recently came out and said, I don't know how any of these new artists are making any money. Uh, I am in, in, I'm paraphrasing here. Um, you know, I'm really, really glad that I'm not an artist, uh, an up and coming artist during this age. Uh, you know, this kind of thing. Cause it, the, the industry is on its head. The industry's you know, it's not making any money and they're, and they're doing everything wrong. Uh, they're not looking Again, they don't look at the history of music. They don't, they don't look back in time and say, what was it about this song which was so great? Why it sold you know, 10 million copies or 50 million copies. They don't look at that. All they're doing is looking at faces. They're looking to get good-looking people doing whatever. As long as they're good-looking on, on stage, that's what they're selling. They have absolutely no, no interest in what the music is. And I think that's because they actually hold the opinion that it doesn't matter. I think they literally, I think if you engage them in a conversation, or, or should I say, if you heard them having a private conversation amongst themselves, I think, I, I believe that you would hear them say that the music doesn't matter. Because it's clearly what, what they're putting out. You know, all of this, I mean, you can say, you know, I, I don't want to get down on rap. Because, you know, I, there's a few songs here that, uh, you know, that I liked. You know, I, I liked a lot of, you know, the old school run DMC. You know, I liked It's Tricky and I liked uh, Rock Box and things like that. And, you know, that stuff was fun when it, when it gets out. But today, I mean, it, it's just a musical. You know, this, it, it's a form of sonic expression. And in that, it's in, in um, given that it is valid. You know, this is a form of human expression. And you have to give it at least credit, you know, for what it is, but it's not music, you know, and if you look up the, the definition of music, um, you know, it actually does not qualify as music. You have to have a core, you have to have melody and, 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 and chords in order for it to be music. It does not meet the definition. Uh, so I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not really big on it. It's not something I, I enjoy a whole lot, but this is what the industry is putting out. They're not, they're not even putting out music anymore. They're putting out people talking, and, and it has, you know, and it has a beat, but the music has all has been has dissolved completely. There's no music in it. Not only that, but most of the 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 lyrics, the rap lyrics, at least the ones I've heard on radio, they don't mean anything. I remember in the late late '80s, early '90s, there were rap groups that were actually putting out stuff where the words actually had some meaning. But, yeah, sure. But now, at, forget at least, it. At least there was value there, right? Right. Do you have any interesting stories or, you know, do you have anything weird ever happen at a gig? One that, <laughs> one that comes to mind <laughs> was we did this, uh, this, this, the success project did this, uh, well, Emergenza, which is an international battle of the bands. It's like the, it's like the biggest one that you can get involved in. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, I have, I have my, my qualms about it because ultimately the, the people who win are the ones who sell the, the most tickets. It's not the ones who are the most talented. So, uh, but anyway, I, you know, I, I, I really didn't get involved in anything. I like, the, you know, the reason why I submitted the song to the billboard song contest is because it's big. I mean, you're not really going to, it's not really going to carry any water with anybody. If you submit to, you know, Joe's songwriting contest, there are a lot of songwriting contests out there, hundreds of them. But as far as I'm concerned, you know, you have to look at it. Well, what's going to happen if I win this? You know what I mean? It, it, what's it going to mean if I win Joe's songwriting contest? Nothing. So Emergenza was this one that, you know, if you won, it, it, you, you could, it was international. And, you know, you could say that you were actually the best band in the world, or at least unsigned band in the world at that point. So that's why we submitted to it. We were doing this, uh, we were doing this show um, in Boston. At a really notable club, anybody anybody that's played in Boston knows about. It. It's called the Paradise, and uh, it's kind of a dive like most rock and roll clubs up, but not not so much. It's got a big stage, uh, lots of people. Probably holds about five hundred people. 
has even a balcony area, uh, has a PA and even a monitor, a monitor guy. So you have, a, you have a guy mixing your monitors too. So we were really excited about that. It was actually probably our second or third real club that we played at. Well, anyway, we show up to do this show and there's a lot of people there. We're really excited. It was a really big gig for us. And all of a sudden Dave says, says, Oh man, I'm sick. I'm feeling really sick. And he's like holding his stomach and he's saying that he, Oh man, I, uh, he said that he had the runs and we're about ready to go on in a half an hour. So, uh, we got up there and did the show. And I look back at him a couple times during the show. And though he wasn't being his normal expressive self, he was holding, he was holding it down. He was still, you know, he, he still was, um, hundred percent as a drummer. But when we got off stage, you know, I, I said, uh, Dave, you know, I, you, you did really good back there. He goes, you know, I, I uh, you guys didn't know, but I, I puked all over my kit. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. So that's one thing that I always think about. But uh, I had a drummer. Dave, I had a drummer once bust open his hand. I think it was the first song and there was blood all over his kit. Did it happen during the show? Yeah. And he kept playing. Oh, man. That's just what is it with drummers, man? There's always always this drama around them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you play any other instruments other than uh, guitar and uh, sing? Well, I, uh, I'm, I'm self-taught on piano. I mean, I'm definitely, uh, you know, I, I could fool you into thinking I was a piano player, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not. You know, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not real great on piano. But you know, I, I do a lot of recording with piano, and you know, and I can rehearse a part, you know, for days on end and, until I get it right. So, I mean, do I play piano? Yeah, I do. Am I, am I real good at it? Well, no. I mean, if I practice, yeah. But usually only uh, uh, only to the extent that I need to be uh, for a recording or for a performance. Uh, I play bass, um, various uh, percussion instruments, but, you know, that's easy enough. You know, and even a kid could do that. So, uh, no, I don't play violin or harp or anything like that, if that's what you mean. Or the, uh, the uh, what do they call that thing? The uh, What's that thing on the uh, the Beach Boys song? It goes, ooh, ooh. That, that electronic instrument? The, the, what is that the, called? The theremin. The theremin, yeah. I don't play one of those either. It was, I think it was the first uh, synthesizer. Yeah, so that thing is awesome. I'd like to have one of those. You know, I used to have one. You had a theremin? Yeah. You know, they, they, they put them out again... Uh, you can get them for about 400 bucks. Um, they put them out. They reissued them sometime in the, you know, early, I, I think it was around 2000. Um, but like they're, they're really interesting for a while. And then they kind of get, uh, boring. Yeah. Cause unless, <laughs> unless you get really good at them, like there was this lady, uh, Thera, uh, no, what was her name? There was this lady, Clara Rockmore, and she could uh-huh. she could literally play classical songs with it. And all you're doing is moving your hands around. Oh, I know. You know, I I saw a couple of videos on YouTube. I mean, uh, there was this, this Japanese guy who did a, I think, air on the G string. Okay. Uh, I I don't know who the composer is. It's a classical piece, but he did it just fantastically. I, I was really impressed. You know, you, you know, he had the he had the you know the tuxedo on, and they had him in a big orchestra hall with a the theremin. You know, yeah, it was cool. I, I ran that thing through my guitar amp. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, I, I was I was wondering, you know, if you put it uh, through a, a synth, you know, you could probably you know change the the character of the sound too, and you know, at least that makes it more interesting, right? Yeah, you could do all sorts of stuff. I had it going through pedals and yeah, and all sorts of things. So. I always thought that that would be something I would I would like to toy with anyway. Yeah. What does music mean to you? <sighs> and I know it's a it's it's a tough question. You could say you know it doesn't mean anything, <laughs> or it okay, means yeah, or it I means know. everything. It's, it is it's an important question. I'm sure I'm sure there are you know lofty spiritual um, layers to this, and I'm 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 sure it goes. I, I, in fact, I know it goes to the core of who we are as people and as as life forms in this universe. 
because sound is, uh, you know, I mean, if you watch Nova or if you're into science at all, which I am, uh, you know, they, we know that sound is, is, is at the core of creation. You know, uh, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to come on. I don't want to pontificate here, but in the Bible, there's a, 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 a statement that said, first there was the word, which means the very first thing there was, was sound, you know, without really going on, without really, I'm not, I'm not going to follow that out any, any more, but I just wanted to, I wanted to touch on that. So there's, there's something uh, really cryptically important about music, uh, and it's it's bigger than our society, and it's bigger than who I you know who who we are as individuals. Um, it's something really really important, you know, and you know I I think hopefully one day we're able to 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 figure out what that is because it's something really really big. But I mean, to me as a person. Music is, uh, you know, I remember when I was growing up as a kid, music, when I was listening to music, it was a whole different world. It was, uh, yeah, I just felt this level of excitement and uh, anticipation and joy and energy and, 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 and creativity that it, was, it didn't exist anywhere else and nothing even came close to it. It was uh, just listening to music, you know, because that's really all I did when I was a kid. You know, I used to listen to a lot of music, you know. Maybe go off, um, you know, ride my bike a little bit, climb a tree, but mostly it was about music. Uh, and it was, you know, I, I couldn't, it was just this, it was just this place where I just felt like I was a hundred feet tall and there was so many possibilities and I, you know, it, it, it you, you, I couldn't, I, I couldn't, I couldn't turn away from it. And, uh, and, and I think ultimately that's the reason why, you know, you stay into it when you're an adult, it, 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 it's a, uh, it's a gateway into, into spirit. You know, it's a gateway in, into the, the great unknown. It really is. Or at least as far as I can see, it's, it, it makes regular life seem completely stupid. You know, we, we know after you've written a song and recorded it, you know, you go back to, you know, maybe, uh, maybe washing some dishes or something, you know, it just really makes existence seem so small and insignificant. You know, it, it, there's a there's a there's a big a big gap between creating a song or creating something and then you know the normal everyday grind and it's it, it's scary. In fact, that might be the best way that I could say it uh, in, in terms of uh, brevity, uh, without rambling on. I I hope that that uh, uh, illustrates it somewhat as and far as how I feel. I about think it. I think there's probably been a few uh, songs written while washing dishes. You know, you get that sound going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah, I know, sure, right? I know I sing sometimes when I'm washing the dishes. I make up songs about the cats, this, my stray cats outside. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, at that point, you know, but, but see, but you're in the creative zone at that right. point, so then it's okay. Yeah, and I'm being silly and stuff. And, yeah. You know, it's fine, yeah. But you, but you feel good. Exactly, yeah. You know, and, and, and that's a key as to, you know, what we're supposed to do, what, you know, while we're here, you know, we're supposed to create, you know, that's what we're supposed to do. What have you been working on um, lately? You've been uh, working uh, on your own stuff or are you, are you still involved with 6S in any way with the uh, Worm, no. Worm and Mike? No, no, they, uh, you know, they're, they're heavily entrenched with, uh, you know, with the, uh, the trappings of domestic life at this point, you know, Mike is living in out in Western Massachusetts. He has like five kids and, you know, lots of things, lots of things to do. You know, I, I, I know that he's still in, in, you know, doing production here and there. I think he's got a little project out there that he tool, you know, he, he, uh, toys around with, he's got some musicians out there, but, and Dave, same thing, you know, Dave, uh, Dave has his kids, you know, he's now living vicariously through his kids. His kids are uh, drumming and his, his, uh, his son drums and his daughter plays piano. And I, I think that's enough for him. Uh, nor do I foresee ever working with, uh, particularly Dave. Uh, I don't think I'd ever work with Dave again. He, you know, cause he, um, at one point he, uh, I really saw how fearful of a guy he was. And, you know, whenever something good came up for success, he had, he found a way to not do it and bow out all the time. And, you know, you can't do that when you're trying to make it in the music industry. So, 
as much as I love Dave and as and as 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 an as much of an absolute stellar talent he is, I'm never going to work with him again. So, so I'm I'm I might work with Mike, but I'm never going to work with Dave again. satisfying in between all the drama and the crying love her when she's up but when she's down I'm being tested I juggle love with the fear of getting arrested well look out I'll take your bill with your bipolar cola a wedding ring or a shovel girl Who's talking now? Is it Heidi or Lola? I love you both cause you're my double girl Well 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 you're my double She tells me I'm the man of her dreams now And then she breaks my stuff. She drains me dry, she's my high-heeled mosquito. She's a grim reaper's daughter with the supergirl libido. Well, look out. Now take your bill with your bipolar cola. A wedding ring or a shovel girl. As far as working on my own stuff, I, I you know I still do little. Uh, I still submit stuff to um, to these online services like Broadjam and uh, Broadjam is like Taxi, where they. They, uh, they tell you the kind of opportunities that are out there, whether it be, you know, for a commercial or, um, or some kind of ad or, or a movie, TV, and you submit songs to that. I haven't had any luck there. Uh, I've had some stuff downloaded by some opportunity providers, but nothing's been picked yet. So, you know, I, that's ongoing for me. You know, I hope to maybe play something in a commercial or on TV or maybe in a movie. I did have a couple songs placed in an independent film, probably about, I don't know, four or five years ago, but you know, it's never a movie that anybody's going to see. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I'm, I'm doing that, uh, that, you know, that's what I'm doing as, as far as, uh, original stuff. I've got a couple uh, people that I'm working with on their projects. I do production for them. You know, they're putting some CDs together. So I record it and mix it, uh, for them. I don't do any mastering, but, uh, I do everything short of mastering and a couple other projects here and there that I'm working on. N- nothing, particularly exciting about how much time goes into um a song that you're producing for your so- yourself or someone else well if it's something that i'm doing it usually goes a lot quicker because you know i know exactly how it needs to be done you know i if you know if, if i sing if i sing a line you know in a, in a, if in a, something about it that bugs me i know that i can sing it better whereas if somebody else sings something you know i'm not really sure if if that's what they wanted or it's not what they wanted. And, you know, so you have a tendency to kind of, you know, you, you plug along and then they tend to, you know, be more mistakes with somebody else. You know, they'll listen to it back and go, you know, I don't really like that. I want you to fix it. Whereas if it was me doing it, I would have, I would have, you know, uh, fixed it right on the spot while I was recording it. But, uh, you know, I could, if, if, if I get a song in my head, if I really want to get that recorded, I could probably get it done. Of course, in the most, uh, the big most of the time goes into sequencing and programming the drums, uh, but you know once I get the drums programmed, that will probably take me a few nights to get that down. Of course, you know this is me working really hard. I could probably get a whole song done in uh, maybe four or five days. Okay, and from nothing to a to a finished product. What do you use? What are your what is your do you use my, any? Do you use? Rig? Yeah, use Pro Tools. Use any kind of particular setup. Right now, I I got into excuse me, 
I got into Cubase a couple years ago. Uh, up to that point, I was working on uh, a self-contained uh, recorder mixer, uh, uh, Yamaha 16-track AW4416, which that was uh, at the time that was that was the real hot unit. You know, it was, and it's still considered to be the uh, one of the best in in that class of. Uh, it's like a standalone, standalone. Yeah, standalone. Uh, yeah, you know, you can record at uh, you know forty-eight kilohertz, you know, 24-bit. Uh, it's got automated faders, you know, they move by themselves, which I thought was really nifty. Uh, you know, onboard compression, and, uh, you know, you can run um, maybe four effects at the same time, which was pretty good. Uh, but, you know, ultimately, the, uh, you know, in Cubase, it's a whole big step uh, uh, into, uh, you know, as far as what you can do in editing, I mean, you can do stuff in Cubase that you could never do in, in a unit like like the Yamaha. Uh, you know, originally I was doing, uh, I was recording on quarter-inch tape, an A-track. I bought that when I was, I think, 17. Maybe I just turned 17. And uh, when I jumped into 16-track digital, wow, I mean, boy, that was fantastic. I, You know, I thought I, that was about as big as a leap from going uh, from the, the Yamaha from tape as it is going from the Yamaha to Cubase. Uh, I don't think I'll ever go back to the to the Yamaha recorder, uh, just because of what I can do in editing. But uh, you know, I've got uh, a nice little preamp here, uh, uh, an FMR, uh, what they call a an RNP, uh, which is a uh, it actually means really nice preamp. What I use for my uh, it's a mic preamp. It's made by the company FMR, and I also have an RNC, which is a really nice compressor. <laughs> this is the names of their products. I've got a uh, an, uh, an NT uh, a Rode NT two thousand mic which I just bought which I'm really happy with I've, I've actually was able to capture the uh, best vocal track that I've ever been able to do uh, w- with another client she was doing a, a CD of lullabies and uh, I was you know I was really blown away with the uh, with the results I got from it uh, uh, l- l- so. lullabies for kids yeah That's, okay. Yeah, you know Rachel, right? Rachel's doing a lullaby. Okay. Uh, a, a lullaby CD right now, and uh, yeah, she did. Uh, she did a one track, and she's about ready to do the next track. So that's been uh, that's been really fun. How that's been coming out. I think. I, some, I think uh, I can. I can hear your dad washing up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, dad's doing the wallpaper down here. So. Uh, you know, it's, it's always good to have a little, uh, you know, offhand action in the background. Yeah, it makes it interesting. That's I, that's why I I um sometimes when I'm doing recordings, you know, I have the washer in the other room going, and and actually <laughs> sometimes it's kind of funny because I'll I'll hear it and I'll like oh I kind of like that background sound, you know, it's yeah, well, ambient I, and it, like you get enough layers of it over, you don't know what it is. It's just this you know <laughs> sound going back there. <laughs> yeah. Like comforting, sonically comforting somehow, subconsciously. Yeah. Were you in any other groups besides 6S? And you guys always called 6S? No, no, no. I, well, I always played with the same three guys. Okay. Uh, but, you know, we had different names. Uh, we were Mirage when we were real little, when we were like uh, 14. You know, that was we were Mirage for a while. And we used to do our... Um, we used to do our uh, gigs in high school. Oh yeah, did you guys uh, yeah, pull, play the prom and things like that, or the talent no, ta- no, the talent no, show? I, yeah, talent shows, those kinds of things. Yeah, um, we would do uh, shows that we would promote throughout the high school, uh, like you know, like benefit gigs mostly. And those were like the best shows, man. I when I, when I look back, of course, you know, that show at the Paradise I, I told you about was probably the peak of my career as far as performance-wise. But uh, when I look back in those days, those gigs were the, were the most fun because kids actually showed up. At the talent shows and at the benefit gigs, you know, we probably had, you know, couple, we probably had 100 kids there. You know, and, you know, back then, you know, if you were in a band, it was cool. It was cool to be in a band, you know. Um, just by virtue that you had, a, uh, had equipment, it was a big deal. Uh, not like today, you know, where, you know, kids have like credit cards and, you know, they go, you know, you know, today I think I'm going to, maybe I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to buy, I'm going to be a rock star today. 
you know, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to go be in a band, you know, and they go and buy, uh, you know, a guitar and an amp for, uh, you know, for 400 bucks, which was something you could never do before. Cause everything's made, you know, overseas now, Indonesia and, you know, Guam for all we know. And, uh, so the gear, the gear is cheap and this stuff is so easy to play. You know, what are you going to play? You know, we know we, what are you going to do? Play, uh, you know, some rap song on guitar. I mean, you know, you don't even have, you don't even know how to, you don't even need to play a solo anymore. You know, you don't even need to le- learn to do that anymore. So, you know, back then, if you were, uh, when you were in a band, it was cool. And then when you told people that, you know, you know, hey, my band's having a, a gig at, you know, such and such a place, people used to show up for it, you know, but now everybody, there's so many bands out there, you know, everybody's brother and their grandmother is in a band now. Uh, you know, and most of the time they're, you know, the bands aren't really that good. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I would, no. I would go see a, a, a rocking band of grandmothers though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So would I, those are the days I miss though. You know, the- those high school gigs, you know, that's what I, I miss. I probably miss that the most cause there was a lot of excitement. People, people, the kids appreciated it. And so did we, you know, we really thought we were somebody back then. <laughs> <laughs> right, you were on stage, and you were all attention was on you. Yeah, and then you know the following Monday in school, you know, every, you know, you were you were really uh, you were really something. <laughs> and then it was all downhill from there. It really was, man. It really was. I mean, nobody could have predicted this internet thing, and you know, the industry collapsing in on itself. And you know, I actually read an article about a month ago where the the the, the industry is actually hiring these high powered lawyers. To, to somehow prove that that the uh, the artists the artists don't own their music. Who owns? This it? is what they're doing. They're they're, they're 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 completely going in the wrong direction. Instead of you know uh, you know as you know you know the whole uh, there's no uh, development deals anymore. You know they're not out there trying to create a, a you know really good artists anymore. You know it's uh, they're they're out there. Um, taking away from artists, you know, they're trying to steal everything from what, you know, whatever they can steal from the artists. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to own the artists completely. They're not trying to create any good artists anymore. And all they do is complain that they're not making any money. I mean, these guys are just, uh, they're, they're on, they're on a, a path, a path of self-destruction. The industry is uh, getting ever worse by the day. Well, I just I, I just read a book about uh, Merge Records, which is an indie label, but it was started by these musicians because they wanted to put their own stuff out, and they knew back then. This is twenty years ago. They knew back then they weren't that no one was going to put out their music. So they're like, "Well, we want to put our stuff out in some way, yeah. and the only way to do that is to start our own label." So they did mm-hmm. that, and then over time, you know, they signed acts here and there. But now that they've been around for 20 years, they actually have some, there's some, some clout. yeah. And the thing about it that I like is there's, it's still being run by the musicians. So they still have this, they still understanding. have this understanding about, they're not going to basically screw over people like the, the major labels would do where right. they're just throwing money at people. Well, that's definitely the way to go, man. The indie labels, you know, that's what I was shopping with a uh, success, you know, before we disbanded. And um, I think that that's your only chance of survival is getting with um, a, a label like that. I think I think you you said a good uh, that's probably a good example of it. And a label with you know obviously you want to go with a label with the most influence, but you still you do want to have that 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 strong musician uh, control of it. You know you don't want these these guys from L.A. you know come out of business school you know, and know nothing about the industry and have no appreciation of the industry or the artists or, or the, you know, the, the creators of it. That's what you need to do. And hopefully they, they'll become a force, you know, where they can start getting bands on Saturday Night Live and, you know, and, and get some, uh, get some real exposure, you know, for some, for some good, for some good artists, you know, people that are writing good music, not crap, you know, and there's a lot of it out there. You know, every time it seems like, you know, whenever I watch, you know, what, you know, like Conan, you know, where they have a lot of these emerging artists, I'm always disappointed. Always. You know, I have no idea what these guys are doing up there. It's like, what are you guys doing? This isn't a song. What is this? You know? Right. Well, there's some craving a song. I'm craving a song. Like a good song. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, there's something that uh, Bob Dylan said about a couple years ago, but it was about the whole thing about illegal downloading and yeah. and how he's like, well, you might as well give that stuff away for free because nothing good has been written in the last, <laughs> you know, 30 years. Yeah. Well, so yeah. what do you what so what do you think about that with the um, you know, torrents and down uh, illegal downloads and I, well, I, Do you know ultimately, ultimately, I I think it's wrong. Uh, I don't think that an artist should have to give away their stuff for free. Uh, I don't think that I don't think it's right that I you know somebody who has dedicated their life to music. Uh, I, I I I think I, I think it is right that somebody who's dedicated their life to music should be able to make a living at it. You know, there's there's a you know there's a lot of sacrifices that people make to be musicians. You know. And it seems that, uh, you know, instead of uh, being able to turn that around and uh, make it work for you, it seems that, you know, most, a lot of them just wind up getting just repeatedly kicked in their face their whole lives, you know. I think that a musician or a songwriter should be able to write a song, and I think it should be able to be sold, and I think people should have to pay for it. Uh, however, you know, having gone through the whole being in a band thing in this during this uh, internet uh, transformation, I see the necessity to give things away, you know, for promotion, uh, you know, and within this, within this, uh, for, you know, within the, um, the state of affairs, it's the only way a band can get recognized. So, you know, I gave my stuff away. I was giving away stuff left and right. You know, I, did I feel good about it? No. Do I feel the necessity uh, to do it? Yes. I, I, I think, I think all in all, it's a bad scene. I think that if you want to give something away as a promotion, I think it's, all, it's always been part of business, you know, to give things away. You know, at my shows, I used to give T-shirts away and, uh, you know, maybe give away um, a sampler. You know, I used to give away a sampler of the CD, had three songs on it. But as far as, you know, having to give everything, everything away, give away the farm, everything away. No, I don't like that. I, I, there's a problem with that. I think I don't think anybody would disagree with that, uh, or at least anybody who has any any uh, measurable understanding of the situation as a whole. Yeah. Well, there's, I know that there's groups out there that, you know, they don't, they put their album out, they spend all this time and money producing it and then getting it out there, maybe making CDs, maybe just putting it, you know, on downloads. And as soon as it becomes available, those people who want to share it, so to speak, put it on torrents and then, Anyone can go and find that stuff if they're choosing to do that and get the music for free, which uh, in some cases I know of one particular band that they, you know, they do have a following. They do get people who buy their stuff, but essentially all the albums they sell pretty much just covers their production costs. And yeah. And in the end, any profit they would have made would have been from the the you know the sales of the stuff that got downloaded illegally. And that's and I I feel that that's a shame too. It's one thing if people want to put it out there for free and you know give it away, but it's I think it's just wrong when people go ahead and 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 steal it essentially. It it is it is you know I mean they uh, it's 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 really sad you know. It's 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 a it's a sad time to be a songwriter or a musician, uh, you know, who's trying to uh, who's trying to make a living at it. All around, I mean, even you know, bands, you know, even clubs now, uh, they don't even hire bands anymore. Right, you know, it's just I a mean, DJ. I, yeah, I mean, it, 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 everything, every every avenue for a musician to to live uh, has been either circumvented. Or capped or blocked off. It's who you are, and you got to keep on doing it, and uh, you know, just intend that uh, something good will come along and something will change. And that's that's uh, that's how I have to. That's how I have to uh, hold my my energy anyway. That's how I hold my my thoughts. And I think you know, I, you know, historically, in terms of you know, not just the music industry, just the things in general. You know, uh, there tends to be. You know, something that rises from the ashes, so to speak. You know, when you have a really bad situation, something will uh, will show up to solve it and fix it all. You know, I, I you know I don't know what that is, but uh, hopefully, uh, you know, things will um, level out, and you know, the chips will fall and the cookie will crumble, 
and uh, something something real will will uh, something true and real will still be standing uh, for the musicians and the songwriters of the world, whereby they'll get their uh, they'll be able to receive their due. Well, thank you, and thank uh, you, Josh. It was it was a pleasure, man. Always great to talk to you, my friend. All right. Thanks again to Derek Theron and Josh Almond for bringing us the program today. You can find out about Derek Theron at nextcat.com slash Derek Theron. That's D-E-R-E-K-T-H-E-R-O-N. You can also check out more about the band Six. That's the number six. S is in Sierra. On cdbaby.com, you can get their album. Just do a search for success and you will find them. For more about Josh Almond, go to gubna.com. That's G-U-B-N-A.com. Check out some of his art, his music. We're going to leave you with a song from Derek Theron entitled, Should I Never Return? Thanks again for checking out Music Life Radio, and we'll catch you next time.